Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode is going to be previewing the upcoming game against the New York Giants. It's the big one. Every four years, the Jets have one of those battles for MetLife, and it's not the preseason this time. It's the real deal. The Giants have been kind of spiraling, but they win the last week, did pretty well against the Bills the week before, so they're feeling pretty good. The Jets on a two-game winning streak won against the now-rival Denver Broncos, then against the, at the time, undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. The Jets are 3-3 three and three on the season, and fans are excited about what we've seen. We had the bye week here, so we had an extra week to kind of, one, rest some players like Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Brandon Eccles, Joe Tittman. But two, we had an opportunity to sit back and watch the AFC East and the AFC perform to see kind of how the playoff picture is shaping up at this point in the season. A lot of teams are seven games in now, so we're coming up towards, you know, half the season being played, which is ridiculous to even fathom. But the Jets are 3-3. Three and three. They are in the mix, and we got to do everything from talk about the AFC East the AFC playoff picture in general. We got to do some news, do a Giants preview, and I even have a nice father time for this one. So all sorts of good stuff to get to, and before I do, I want to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's part of the Fans First Sports Network. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. All right, so getting into it, starting with the news around the Jets. The only real big piece right now that I can think of is the Jets trade Miko Hardman and a 2025 seventh round pick to the Kansas City Chiefs for a 2025 sixth round pick. What does this mean? Really nothing. The Jets get the very small Miko Hardman one year salary off of their books. He goes back to a team where he's comfortable and has played before and can honestly just plug right in. He was active in their game with the Chiefs the first time coming back. It only took him, you know, a couple days to get, and I know what I'm doing here. He's been in the Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes offense before, so... A good landing spot for him. The Jets' project with him didn't really work out. He ends with one catch for six yards. Not very many targets. Not really active in the Jets' game plan. It was 28 total snaps he played for us. And part of that is because we didn't have Aaron Rodgers, and I think that Aaron Rodgers would have been able to unlock a little bit of that downfield threat. The way I've kind of been putting it, when you, when you go from Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson, one thing you lose is kind of that third and fourth and fifth receiver and their routes. Because when you have Aaron Rodgers, he sees the entire field and he can go off script and he can extend the plays, at least he used to be able to, extend the plays, move around in the pocket and look for different guys and see first option, second option, third option, fourth option before going to a check down perhaps. Zach Wilson for most of his career has been looking at really one guy and then maybe a check down. This year I think he's getting a little bit better at getting to that second guy, you know, looking at a wide receiver, then a tight end, then a check down that type of a thing, but Zach Wilson isn't going receiver, 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 receiver across the entire field. He's not really comfortable extending the plays and moving around in the pocket right now, and if he does, he's locking on one receiver. So when you talk about a guy like Mecole Hardman, if he was to shake free running streak routes over and over, which is really what he's best for, if he's running streaks, Aaron Rodgers would eventually find him when he breaks free. Zach Wilson probably wouldn't. So to have Mecole Hardman out there, who doesn't block very well, doesn't do a ton of other stuff, isn't a guy that you can rely on to really get open and look like he's open. That's what Zach Wilson wants, somebody that looks like he's open. It's really not a good play style for what Zach Wilson brings to the table. So I think that 
in the end, the experiment didn't really work out. The good news to the whole thing is what Mikol Hardman brought on the other part of the team, like special teams and stuff, was able to be replaced by Xavier Gibson. If you were thinking maybe Mikol Hardman could be punt returner, kick returner, maybe some end arounds and some gadget plays, bubble screens and stuff, I think that role is kind of being filled by Xavier Gibson. And again, those are ways to get that player involved and get the ball in their hands without really putting a lot of thinking on the quarterback. Xavier Gibson's going to be just fine for that. He's younger. He's not being paid very much. Mikol Hardman gets to go to a team where he's comfortable. I think everybody wins in this one. The draft compensation is really nothing. At that point in time, we could be moving up 10, 15, 20 picks in the last round or just about. So not a big deal. I wish Mikol Hardman the best. Wish it could have worked out for him. But, you know, we still have to figure out a better answer at wide receiver. I think we've seen Garrett Wilson play extremely well. And then behind him, Lazard seems like the obvious next man up. But then it's kind of a, a drop-off behind him. And Mikol Hardman is part of that as well. Mikol Hardman doesn't offer all that much more to a Zach Wilson in terms of his route running in the intermediate and low field. Any more than a Randall Cobb or Xavier Gibson or who knows, Jason Brownlee maybe. Try to get some of those guys some minutes. I think we're really missing... Corey Davis at this point in time, because he's a guy that you could put out there, could get open short, medium, and deep, and can block really well, as well as a team captain, great guy. Would have loved to have him, but we don't, and uh, we'll have to address that wide receiver position one way or another. It'll be next man up, and people will have opportunities. So that's the big news around the Jets. Next order of business is to kind of take a look at the AFC East and see what happened when the Jets had their week off, right? Every other team in the AFC East played the Dolphins, they played a primetime game against the Philadelphia Eagles in which they lost 17-31. to 31. And one of those touchdowns the Dolphins got was a interception return for a touchdown. So they really only scored 10 points on offense. Going into this game, I think the stat was the Dolphins' opponents that they had beaten prior to this game against the Eagles, the combined record of those teams was 5-24. and 24. Basically meaning the Dolphins are beating up on the very worst teams in the NFL. The Panthers, the Broncos, the Giants. But when they play good teams, they've only played two so far. The Buffalo Bills and now the Philadelphia Eagles. They've lost both of those games pretty pretty glaringly. So I think that at first when you watch that team play and you see everything working, Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert, Jalen Waddell and Braxton Berrios is getting involved and obviously Tyree Kill, we've seen what he can do. It's like, man, this team is just loaded with weapons. Get it in their hands, and they can score, score, score. But when you put a little bit of pressure on Tua, and you make him try to get rid of the ball fast, and they can't run the football, and all they're really doing at that point is looking for opportunities to get the ball in Tyreek Hill's hands, he'll get his he'll get his shots, and he'll get his opportunities. Tyreek Hill is playing out of his freaking gourd right now. I think every single Jets fan that was excited to possibly get Tyreek Hill, when you see him play with the Dolphins, that's the exact reason why. He is the best player on that team. He looks like nobody else in the entire league can do what he can do. You just chuck the ball up to him or give him the ball in the open field any possible way, and he's going to find a way to pick up an extra 15, 20 yards, no problem. Sometimes even a touchdown comes out of nowhere. It's just so ridiculously easy for Tua and what he's doing. But when you can take that portion out of the game a little bit, the Dolphins are struggling. When you can take the running game away, they're struggling big time. Tua Tungabailoa is trying everything in his power not to get hit. He's sacking himself before the defense can sack him. Eventually, somebody's going to, and we're going to see how he responds. It hasn't happened yet thus far. And the defense from that team is horrible. I know they're getting Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey back soon, but the Dolphins are not nearly as scary as I thought they were 
you know, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, man, this is one of those best teams in the league. Are we worried about the Dolphins being a potential Super Bowl favorite or in the mix? I think the Chiefs are well ahead of them. I think the Jets are going to give the Dolphins some problems when we play them. And I'm excited for that. But the Dolphins lose this week to the Eagles, team that the Jets just beat, and that's really exciting for us. That's one of the best outcomes that we saw this weekend. The other AFC teams played each other. The Buffalo Bills and New England Patriots face off in Foxborough, and the Patriots come away with the win 29-25 to against the Buffalo Bills, who are now 4-3. and Now, interdivision games are always weird, right? We beat the Bills. The Dolphins used to beat the Patriots randomly on occasion. The Patriots beat the Bills here. It's always a little bit different when you play in your division because you know the team so well. But this is a really interesting one because the Patriots were basically dead. They were cooked at 1-5, and five, and if they went to 1-6 and six against the Bills, the season would be looking for a quarterback next year, basically. But the Patriots win this game. They're now essentially one and a half games behind the Jets, but they also have the tiebreak win over the Jets right now. I think from a Bills perspective, you just struggled against the Giants. You've struggled against the Jets, lost to them. The Patriots, you lose to them. You're seeing a team that literally plays to the level of the competition they play every single week. If the Bills play a really good team, they'll put together a pretty good performance and look good. If they play a bad team, they'll put together a bad performance and maybe win, maybe lose. But the Buffalo Bills are not a team to be trusted right now. And when you see them ahead of the Jets, just half a game against us, and we've got the tiebreak against them, you're thinking to yourself, man, I could see a scenario where the Jets make the playoffs and maybe the Bills don't because the Bills don't take care of business. That's a really important thing when you want to make the playoffs and you want to be one of the best teams in the league. you got to take care of business against the bad teams. you got to put the Patriots away. you got to put the Jets away and the Giants away because you're going to have a lot of hard games later on in the season. And that's what we're going to see from the Jets. That's kind of what this big upcoming stretch is for us because we know that we played well against some really good teams so far. And we were able to beat the Broncos, albeit a little bit closer than we wanted it to be. I'll give them a pass in the Patriots game because the Patriots are a division team that always plays us really well. But how do we handle a team like the New York Giants and the Las Vegas Raiders, both who are reeling right now, having massive issues, not feeling like themselves, not comfortable? The Jets have to take care of business. The Bills can't do it. If the Jets can, don't be surprised to see us pass them in the standings very, very soon. So very good to see the Bills lose that game. Unfortunately, it does mean the Patriots are kind of back in the mix a little bit. I don't know how long they're going to hang around for. Bill Belichick gets his wonderful 300th win. We like to talk about that. I think what's more important is that there are three coaches now that have 300 wins. Bill Belichick is not very, very close to breaking the all-time record for most wins in NFL coaching history. It's going to take him a couple of years. But he's extremely close close to breaking the all-time loss record. It's only nine losses away. So remember that when Bill Belichick one day leaves the NFL with the most wins in NFL history, ooh, He broke the record for most losses well before that. So not nearly as impressive when you look at it through that lens. That said, that is the AFC East. That's what we have right now. It's Dolphins top five and two, Bills four and three, Jets three and three, and Patriots two and five. This week upcoming, we've got a couple games. We got Patriots in Miami at 1 p.m. So we'll see if the Dolphins have as much trouble against the Patriots as the Bills just did. If the Dolphins can get back on track. You have Tampa Bay traveling to Buffalo for Thursday night football, a primetime matchup in just a couple days. Tampa Bay is 3-3 now. They're kind of a weird team. They're not to be trusted with Baker Mayfield and and Rashawn White. It's not like a super high-powered offense, but they have a decent offensive line. They have a couple really nice weapons in Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Can they give the Buffalo Bills some fits? Absolutely. 
Because if there's one thing that we've seen so far this year, it's that most likely the Buffalo Bills are going to play the exact level that the Buccaneers play. And the question is going to be who gets the ball last, who misses a field goal, who has a costly turnover. We know Josh Allen is prone to having costly turnovers and bad moments. So if the Bills can lose that game and go to 4-4, four and four, that would be a very nice thing for the Jets, the rest of the AFC, the AFC East, to get them down there back in the mix. Because I think that they came into the season thinking that they were potentially one of the top two, three teams in the AFC. And I think what we're seeing now is they're a team that's going to be fighting to make a wild card with the rate they're playing right now. they got to get their stuff in order. And let's go Buccaneers. That's a big one for us. You know, you want to see the Dolphins lose to the Patriots. That would be great to get the Dolphins back in the mix with where the Jets are and have this division completely up for grabs, but then that means you've got the Patriots with three wins kind of getting back into the race, and I don't know. I'm not worried about the Patriots, really, but it's the one team that I really don't want to see some awesome comeback story from for obvious reasons. The rest of the AFC, when you look at it, um, the top team in the AFC is the Chiefs. They're 6-1. and one. I think they're a tier above everybody else. Then you've got some really good 5-2 and two teams, the Dolphins, Ravens, and Jaguars. That's one from each division now with the Chiefs, Dolphins, Ravens, and Jags. So everybody else is going to be a wild card team. You're looking at the 4-2 and two Steelers, the 4-2 and two Browns, and the 4-3 and three Bills with pole position. Outside looking in, you got the 3-3 three and three Texans, 3-3 three and three Jets, 3-3 three and three Bengals, 3-4 three and four Raiders, and 3-4 and four Colts. So the Jets really, when you look at this thing, they need to root against the AFC North. The AFC North has a bunch of teams that are in the mix. You got the Bengals at three and three, the Browns at four and two, the Steelers at four and two, and the Baltimore Ravens at five and two. You really need to have some of those AFC North teams lose. I don't think we're really worried about teams in the AFC South. You know, the Texans and Titans, yeah, the Colts, they're in the mix, but for how long? We look at the AFC West, Raiders, Broncos, Chargers keep losing. Not too much going on there. It's the AFC East that's really competitive and getting tight. And then you've got the AFC North. So if the AFC North starts to implode, that is best case scenario. Root against them as much as possible right now. It's kind of what we got for the AFC. The Jets are absolutely firmly in the mix. And if they pull out a win, that's the most important thing. Continue to win. Get this win streak going. Look back at the end of the year and and count them all up. But don't worry about anything else. The other teams right now win your games and you're going to be in good position no matter what. Beat the Giants this weekend. So we have to talk about that Giants game, and I'm going to do so. But before that, I do want to do a quick father time and hear my dad's takes. He sent me what he referred to as a truncated version, a shortened version of father time, because it's a quick week. I told him if he could get one, that's great. He said, I'll give you something brief. So this is this week's father time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. The main reasons why I like the Jets' chance of victory on Sunday afternoon is this. This game is all about making the opposing quarterback feel uncomfortable and rushed. Make him move and make him make bad, hurried throws that lead to mistakes and big plays. Game changers. To do this, New York Giants defensive coordinator Wink Martindale will start by blitzing one and dropping six. If that's not effective, he'll blitz two and drop five. He'll even send seven while dropping four on third downs to get to Zach Wilson. Jeff Ulbrich, on the other hand, will rush four and drop seven into zones to get to Tarad, and that's going to work. The Jets don't need to blitz, the Giants do. This is a big, big difference. This difference will pay dividends. Go Jets. End scene. Wah-ha-ho, daddy-o. That is a great father time, as brief as it is because he makes one key point that I have been thinking about a lot this past couple weeks while we've been looking at this Giants game coming up. And that's that 
Wink Martindale, like he said, blitzes a ton. The Giants are one of the most blitz-heavy teams in the entire NFL. No, they don't generate the most pressure. No, they don't generate the most sacks. They're not great at getting after the quarterback. But Wink Martindale will blitz repeatedly. It's what he does. It's what he's always done. And he's going to send people at Zach Wilson from so many different parts of the field. That makes me nervous in one respect, right? Because if Zach Wilson gets uncomfortable and feels pressured or rushed or seeing ghosts or anything like that, he can make mistakes. He can fumble the ball. He can take sacks. He can throw interceptions. He can get in his own head and struggle mightily. The game for Wink Martindale is make Zach Wilson uncomfortable, and that's how he's going to do it. But then my dad brings up the other side, because the game is also to make Terod Taylor or Daniel Jones, whoever we play, feel uncomfortable. And to do that, the Jets don't need to send five, six, or seven guys. They have to send four, because the dogs they have up front on that defensive line are absolutely effective against one-on-one coverage. Quinn and Williams can even beat double teams regularly. So if the Jets can do that and drop seven into zones, it's going to make life very, very difficult for a Giants receiving core that honestly isn't that impressive, a quarterback that struggles to get the ball downfield, more of a game manager than anything. And that's what allows the Jets to drop into those zones, keep people covered, and let those linebackers fly around the field because they're getting pressure with four up front. And that's the big difference between the Jets and what we can do versus what Wink Martindale is putting on the Giants and can expect them to do. Because if Zach Wilson can beat those blitzes that we know are coming, if he can figure them out, diagnose them, and get the ball out to the right receivers, there's going to be big opportunities for big plays in this game. But my dad is absolutely right. It's a big difference in schemes that you're going to see from Jeff Ulbrich and Wink Martindale. It's worth taking a look at. It's kind of like Rex Ryan used to put his cornerbacks on islands and blitz. This new team, totally different, just send four guys, go into zone defense, sometimes man, and both can work if operated the right way and if you have the right team chemistry and makeup. But there always are weaknesses to both, and if it can be beat, it can be beat. So the Jets are going to try to do that. The Giants are going to try to do that. Dad, thank you for pointing that one out. I appreciate it. That is this week's father time. Now, before we go to the rest of the Giants preview, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Live. Next, we're going to do a Giants preview. We're going to talk about the Giants coaching, their offense, their defense, and then uh, do a prediction for the game and get out of here looking towards that game. So coming up, the Jets play the Giants at 1 p.m. in Jet Life Stadium. For this game, the Giants are the home team. So the Jets basically get an extra home game in this one, as I expect it to be about a 50-50 split between Giants and Jets fans. Obviously, the season ticket holders of the Giants are going to get tickets first, but the Jets represent really well. We have a lot going for us, and I expect it to be loud for both teams. So pretty nice for the Jets to get to play an away game in their home stadium. It's kind of that fun battle for MetLife Stadium that they do every four years or so. Obviously, they play in the preseason and and do some work there in the offseason and stuff, but it's not the same as these regular season games where the fan base is split. A lot of families are split. Jets and Giants fans are friends and groups of people are split between those two teams. So to have them face off, it's kind of a a fun little bragging rights game. The Jets are currently three-point favorites, which to me, I think it feels a little low. I think the Jets should be five-point favorites, five-and-a-half-point favorites, because I think the Jets are a better team than the Giants. And I think that... uh, After we beat them up this weekend, which is my expectation, they're going to be much higher favorites against the Las Vegas Raiders. But they haven't gotten their flowers yet. Honestly, they don't really deserve it. They did have a a stinker of a game against the Patriots. They looked really, really bad against the Cowboys in that game, like completely outclassed. And 
They haven't earned anybody's respect yet. Zach Wilson hasn't proven that he's reliable. This team is coming back from some injuries. They haven't proven that they can go on winning streaks and take care of business like we were talking about before. So three-point favorites. It's all we get. That's all right. We can do that. When you look at the Giants coaching, their head coach is Brian Dable. We remember him from both being the Bills offensive coordinator and then last year, his first year with the Giants winning coach of the year. He's a good coach, but that team is struggling right now, obviously. Offensive coordinator is Mike Kafka. Their defensive coordinator, as we talked about before, Wink Martindale from the Ravens. Special teams coordinator is Thomas McGahee. It's a pretty good coaching staff because Brian Dayball knows what he's doing, but that team is struggling right now to work through the offensive line, to work through their quarterback, and they got a lot of big decisions and, and things to try to do and figure out to get that team back feeling good about themselves. And it starts with, on the offensive side of the ball, that quarterback decision. Because at this point in time, the Giants haven't practiced yet this week, but Daniel Jones has not been cleared for contact yet. Terod Taylor has played the last two games, and honestly, Terod Taylor has looked better than Daniel Jones has. When Daniel Jones was playing, he's got two touchdowns, six interceptions, a handful of fumbles, really struggling. Terod Taylor, he's got the team playing really well against the Buffalo Bills, basically winning that game. It's not for a call at the end of the game or a lack thereof. He's got them beating the Washington Commanders, who were 3-3. Three and three. He's got zero turnovers on the season, and he's a game manager quarterback that keeps them in games. He allows the defense to play defense, get after the quarterback, make the other team uncomfortable like Josh Allen and Sam Howell both were, and then just score just enough. Kind of play like a really bad version of what the Jets are trying to do. Their offense isn't as dynamic. Their defense isn't as dynamic. But it can work. You can stifle a good team, and you can make them really uncomfortable, and you can even win some games that way. We did it last year. We're doing it this year just at a much higher level because we have some real firepower on both sides of the ball. If you're asking me who I'd rather play between Daniel Jones and Terod Taylor, I would pick Daniel Jones. Because to me, Daniel Jones is the type of guy that goes in there and creates absolute chaos for his team. He turns the ball over. He takes sacks like crazy. He fumbles the ball when he gets hit. He makes bad decisions. He tries to play hero ball more. That's the kind of stuff the Jets can absolutely feast on. Get those sacks, those interceptions. Get the score up. A lot of times we have to score on defense. Daniel Jones is the type of guy that gives you points on defense. Terod Taylor, on the other hand, you play against him, he's going to quietly, methodically get that team to 13 to 17 points, just game managing, working the ball down the field, trying not to take sacks, not having turnovers. And the Jets are going to have to then rely on their offense to get the points. If the Giants are playing smart, punting the ball, giving the Jets long field after long field, and then blitzing the Jets time after time, it's up to Zach Wilson to get the ball down the field and put points on the board. And if he can't, if we struggle in the red zone, or if Zach Wilson struggles to get the ball out comfortably, it could be tricky against Terod. I do think the Jets would beat him. I think that we can absolutely rough up Terod Taylor and make that, that offense struggle mightily. But I would much rather have a couple free gimme freak plays on defense against Daniel Jones and the chaos that he creates. We'll see what happens when they practice on Wednesday. We'll probably get a good idea of if Daniel Jones is trending to play or not. Either way, the Jets, they're in good shape for this one. Because when you look at the Giants' weapons, Saquon Barkley, really good player. Darren Waller, really good tight end. Other than that, offensive weapons, you're looking at guys like Paris Campbell, Wandale Robinson, Darius Slayton, Jalen Hyatt, Isaiah Hodgins, Sterling Shepard. I mean, stop me when any one of those names impresses you at all. Those are guys that would be wide receiver three or four on most teams. And the Giants have somehow, for the last five years, basically completely ignored the wide receiver position 
aside from a Kadarius Tony draft pick, fail, and Kenny Galladay signing, fail. Ever since Odell Beckham Jr., that receiving core has been ugly, and it still is. The Jets should have no problem whether DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, Brandon Eccles, Bryce Hall, whoever they play out there. If they roll our boys Tay Hayes back out there, yeah, absolutely the Jets can still do well against that team. Got to stop Saquon Barkley, got to stop Darren Waller, and got to get after the quarterback and make him uncomfortable. A little bit easier to do that this year against the Giants because their offensive line has been such a freaking struggle, but a lot of those guys in the offensive line have been missing games, and they're all questionable for this game against the Jets. Right now, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, is questionable, as is his backup, Matt Pert. Shout out to UConn. Their other tackle, Evan Neal, is questionable for the game. Their center, John Michael Schmitz, is questionable for the game. One of their backup offensive linemen, Shane Lemieux, just went to IR. So they're totally banged up, but there's a scenario where basically the full offensive line is back and intact. There's also a scenario where it's a whole hodgepodge practice squad offensive line playing against the Jets. We'll find out as the week goes on, but the Jets, the defensive line that we have is fierce. And Evan Neal playing is probably good for the Jets because he's playing absolutely horribly. Andrew Thomas, on the other hand, he's a really good player. Jets still, I trust Jermaine Johnson over an Andrew Thomas coming back from injury. When you look at that whole group, the weapons, the offensive line, what the Giants have done on offense so far this year, Daniel Jones, Rod Taylor, man, it's hard to imagine them scoring many points against the Jets and this defense that we have. What about the Giants' defense, though? Because that is probably the more interesting side of the ball because the Jets need to put up some points. We've had trouble doing that the last few weeks. It's going to be something that separates us from a good team or a bad team later down the season. But Zach Wilson and the Jets have struggled in the red zone. They've struggled to move the ball 80 yards down the field consistently. They're horrible on third downs right now. And even though Zach Wilson's playing better than he has in the past, it's still not high-level quarterback play. Is this the week that he can get it right? When you look at the Giants' defense, they blitz a lot. But that starting front group of guys, Leonard Williams, we know him. He's a really good, reliable player who can stop the run and get quarterback pressures, but probably not sacks, as we remember all too well. You got Dexter Lawrence, one of the better defensive tackles in the league. Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a pass rusher from Oregon, who's not completely come into his own yet, but he is sometimes getting some pressures. None of those guys are really good at consistently beating one-on-one coverage. That's why they blitz as often as they do, and that's why they get as few sacks as they do. But they have a really good linebacker unit because they have Bobby Okereke. He's playing really well for them. They have another guy that you may not remember hearing the name of ever, and that's Jihad Ward. Aaron Rodgers may have reminded you of him um, in that Hard Knocks episode, and he goes, who are you? I've never heard of you. Yeah, that's Jihad Ward. He's one of the other starting linebackers for the Giants. Jets have obviously a little bit of fight against him from that whole uh, little tussle. But overall, you know, Bobby Okereke, he's a good a good linebacker, and uh, they're going to be blitzing a lot from those Jihad Ward players and other guys on the outside. And the DBs are, are solid for the Giants. Adoree Jackson and Deontay Banks outside. Adoree Jackson's a good player. Deontay Banks still trying to learn the NFL a little bit. Jason Pinnock is one of their starting safeties who we know him to be an okay player. He never really flourished with the Jets. He didn't really get a big opportunity, and he made you know some mistakes here and there that kept him from getting out of the field. He's a solid player for the Giants right now. He's not one of the best safeties in the league, but he's a serviceable starter for them, so he's going to be out there. And then Xavier McKinney, again, serviceable starter, maybe a little bit better than that. He's uh, I think he was a little bit better last year than he's been this year, but that's what they got on defense, and it's going to come down to beating the blitz. It's going to come down to Zach Wilson and the running backs and tight ends picking up those blitzes. 
CJ Uzama and Jeremy Ruckert have been awesome at uh, run blocking this year. Pass blocking is going to be very important for them this week. Running back Michael Carter has made a couple timely blitz pickups this year. He's going to have to do it again this week. Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall, either get out there for a screen pass and help the game that way or block those guys coming in because they're going to be rushing after Zach Wilson. And if the offensive line struggles for the Jets, and we could be playing Wes Schweitzer at right guard, we're probably going to be playing you know, Max Mitchell again at right tackle. So that right side's a little scary. That's probably where Kayvon is going to be lining up. They're going to be blitzing, and if they can get pressure with their safeties and cornerbacks and all the different blitz combinations that they're going to do, and Zach Wilson makes those mistakes, this is a game that the Giants can score defensively themselves, and that's what they're looking to do. That's what their game plan is coming into this thing, is let's blitz this guy, let's force fumbles, let's get pick sixes, let's create chaos for Zach. Luckily, we have some guys like Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and Tyler Conklin who can just do some really special things when they get the ball in their hands, and that's all we have to do is find a way to do that. Keep Zach upright. Get the ball out quick. When he's throwing under two and a half seconds, he's so much better. He just has to know where he's going, and he can't just look down one receiver the whole way and throw interceptions that way. He's got to have like a one-two look, and then honestly throw the ball away. If the blitz is coming, don't take the sacks. Don't fumble the ball. Just one-two, get it out. Throw it at somebody's feet past the line of scrimmage. Just make it work. Then the Giants special teams unit real quick. Graham Gano is their kicker. Jamie Galen is their punter. Solid special teams unit there. So when I look at this thing, if there's no defensive scores in this game and it's just like a standard game where a couple turnovers here and there but not necessarily just going straight to the house, I would say the Giants are not looking at any more than 12 points against the Jets. And I would say the Jets are able to do kind of what they've been doing this year, and that's 22 points from them. So I have the Jets winning this game 22-12 to in Jet Life Stadium even though it's a Giants home game, it's hopefully going to be represented by the Jets fans. If you're listening and you're planning on going, get loud. Rep the Jets big time. Make it feel like a Jets home game. Let's get this team to 4-3. and three. Back in the playoff race. Back in the AFC East race. Making things really, really interesting. This is a huge measuring stick game for the Jets. Because in the past, the teams that we've had would play a game against the Giants who is, you know, on paper and in, in, in reality, like a worse team than us right now. We would play down to their level like the Bills have been doing against their opponents, and we would struggle and maybe lose the game, and it'd be like, oh my gosh, we won a big game, but then we lose this one. Take care of business. It's the most important thing they can possibly do. Win this game. Get to 4-3. and three. Let's keep the season exciting. Let's keep this winning streak alive. Get it to 3. It'd be a lot of fun. I think we're all looking for it. I think we all deserve it. It's been a tough season so far, obviously, with uh, some of the stuff that's happened in terms of the injuries, but the gameplay itself has been exciting and entertaining and we want to keep these games meaningful for as long as possible so let's go jets as always that's all i got for this podcast and uh you know rate review subscribe follow me on twitter at jets underscore dan that's all i got let's go beat up the giants take over new york and then look towards the raiders and everybody else in the schedule thanks for joining me on this podcast i'm dan burnham and this is the jet life (laughs) 